You're listening to an Ancient Future podcast brought to you by St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. I'm your host, Jamie Howison. On Wednesday, October 5th, we had a book release event for John Bodicher, a member of our community. John had just released his book of poems, A Book of Revelations. We thought it'd be a good idea to have him share a a series of those poems, talk a little bit about where they came from, and offer our community a chance to, to receive and engage. And it was a good evening indeed. And so we've got this recording in which John reads five poems, one each from the various sections of this book, And then we finish with myself and John going back and forth a little bit about the story of Jacob wrestling through the night with an angel, after which John reads his final poem for the evening, Wrestling with an Angel. If you're interested in this book, it's easy enough to get a copy. You can go to the show notes and there'll be a link there to the website of his publisher, Berserker Press, based in Winnipeg. We'll also have copies at the church over the coming while, which are available to you for just $10. So, if you come in person, you can take a look there, or you can order online through Berserker. It was a delight to do this with John in my introductory comments that I made last night, which are not included in this podcast. I did point out that when I was an undergraduate student at the University of Winnipeg, He was one of my professors for two courses, one on religious ethics, science and technology, and the other on religious ethics and the city. And John stretched all of us, but I think me in a particular way. Not only did he have us reading Augustine, Jacques Ellul, among others, but when it came time to do a term paper, we were to pick a theologian and explore what that theologian had to say about the development of the world of science and tech. And he gave me Paul Tillich, a name at the time with which I was totally unfamiliar, and he had me dig in and dig in deep. He was a good professor. Anyway, over to John Bodicher as he reads from his collection. Oh, thank you, Jamie. And uh, thanks to Robert, uh, my publisher, who's here with us, and to, to uh, Kevin, who's working on the, the podcast end of it, and to uh, Larry, who helped with the sound tonight, and to all of you who are here. I appreciate your being here. It means a lot to me. Uh, let's get clear with one thing at the beginning. I'm not a poet. A poet is someone who gets up in the morning and sets out to write poetry. I have other things on my agenda. I write poetry when I have to, uh, when I'm compelled to, when this great bird comes and sits on my shoulder and digs her claws in and says, you write this or I'm never going away. So then I write some poetry. And uh, the poem starts with rhythm. It comes to me as a beat. I hear uh, a three or a four or an eight or something coming at me in one way or another. And uh, then the words follow from that. And uh, the meaning follows from the words. 
I don't uh, sit there and think of now, what shall I write a poem about? The topic is given to me, and I write what I have to write, and then I find out what it is that I've said. You and I are all on even ground here when it comes to these poems. You're as much an authority of what they mean as I am. I think that may actually be true of almost all poetry, but I won't venture to say on that one. It's called, as Jamie was saying, a book of revelations. All right, so it is a bit of a dig at people who talk about the biblical book of revelations. That's not the name of it. And I like to remind folks of that from time to time, but never mind. This is what it is for me. This is a book of revelations that came to me because I was compelled to write these poems. So first write, then learn. They're revelations about myself and about my relationship to others and to the world around me. I don't imagine for a moment that I am some kind of a separate being who can be understood in isolation, either by myself or anyone else. I am who I am in relationships. And uh, these have been revelations, unveilings about who I am in relationships to the world and to my friends, to my family, and so on. So um, this is a bit scary, but I'm among friends, and uh, I'm going to go ahead here. I've got five sections. The sections are divided a little arbitrarily. You'll find out what they are when you look inside the, the table of contents, and I'll tell you what I'm reading from. I'm going to read one from each section, but the sections are a little arbitrary. Uh, for example, I could have, I wrote a, a book on Lake Winnipeg. I called her Our Lady Lake because she always seemed feminine to me. And I could not leave her behind when we left the lake where we lived for 11 years to move back into the city. Uh, she came with me somehow in my imagination and I, I had to write that poem. So. It could have been. She could have been in the section called Women in My Life, but instead she's in another, she's in the section of, of where we live. I'll read one from each section and we'll see how it goes. So from where we live, have you got some favorite spots in the city that you love or in the province? You, you, uh, you, you have a, a thin place as the, the Irish mystics talk about it, where the, you feel that you're a little bit closer to the reality of things than anywhere else? Yeah, do you? You get special places? I've got a few. Now, obviously the lake is one for me, but so is a place uh, down on uh, South St. Boniface called Spirit Woods. We used to live down there. We lived there for about seven years, I think, and uh, we would go walking on the trail beside the Seine into the Spirit Woods area. So this comes from that encounter. By the way, thanks to Save Our Seine, that wonderful voluntary organization that has worked tirelessly to keep that area clean. When they started working on it, they just had begun when we moved in down there. And they worked tirelessly to clean that area and try to restore it to its purity.
Spirit Woods. A hidden river slips between suburban mansions, welfare flats, well-furnished towers where the old are set apart, commercial malls, all coldly unaware or scornful of the richness hiding where the stream and its concealing woods are lying low. Still, there are those who walk here, pause to marvel at the birds and deer and various rodent species living in this quiet place. The turtles just ignore the visitors. They lived here long before what passes as a city came to drop its garbage here. Sometimes the eyes of those alert will sense that other eyes are there. Not just the animals, but more, like human faces, turn our heads where someone, something, has transformed some old wood into spirit form. What once seemed dead has come alive to watch us pass. How hard it is to read the face. Is that a smile to welcome us? Or does that upward twist reveal a sneer which mocks our transient ways? And all those ringing notes we took to be a bird song, was it not also the laughter of the one who made this holy place? Now, since I've already told you about the section called Women in My Life, I'd better read one from that section. Sounds racy, doesn't it? Women in my life. Most of them are about Lynn, and some of them are pretty racy, but this one is, this one is not. <laughs> this one is about my mother, Mabel Williams. Williams, I should say. The Welsh, you know, uh, they have a different way of uh, dealing with the imposition of the English language upon them than the Irish or the Scots. The, the Irish and Scots just invented hybrid languages, which you can gradually understand if you spend enough time with them. Their, their own language blended with English. The Welsh, they took their vengeance by speaking English better than the English. That's how you can tell you're speaking with a Welsh person. This is called uh, a waltz for Juanita. My mother's name was Mabel Williams, as I said, uh, but she wanted to have a middle name like her brother's. She did a lot of funny things with names, but those stories don't quite fit in tonight, so I'll put them off. But this one, I'll have to tell you, she had brothers named Thomas Walton Williams and Gail Woodrow Williams. So she wanted a middle name too, not just Mabel, but Mabel W. Williams. What name shall I give myself, she thought, in junior high school. I know what, Juanita. So this is a, this is a, she didn't spell that well. That was a, this is a waltz for Juanita, W-A-N-E-T-A, -E Mabel Juanita Williams. And it is a waltz. While we were dancing a Viennese waltz, someone found a new step that is called Blame Your Mom. Since we all have a mom and there's so much to blame, it was tempting to try to dance life in this way. But my feet are so clumsy 
and cannot remember the steps of my wounding. I think of the fighting and laughing and singing, and that makes my feet stick. It seems that she loved me, just loved me the way that I was and became. I guess I could blame her because I expected that everyone else on my path through the world would love me as she did. So all of the ones that I offered my love to would surely adore me. But like Prince Dimitri, I found to my shock there were people with guns of emotion whose bullets were aimed at my guts. From the shots that found holes in my armor came poems. But I was not grateful for them, for they spoiled my disguise. Now I thank her. Too late. And now since we're on Welsh people, we go to the section called Fathers and Sons. How many of you had four, knew in your life, have known four grandparents or more? Good, wow, you're rich, you're rich. How many of you have known more than one grandparent? Yeah, that plus the others, so that most of you. I'm grandparent deprived. I had just one grandparent. The ones on my father's side were uh, my, my grandmother, Sarah Schantz, died in childbirth of my father. And uh, my grandfather on that side died before I was born. And Sarah Harriet Evans, my grandfather Williams's wife, had fallen victim to mental illness after she bore four children. My mother was the oldest, and she had three brothers. G.W., that's George Washington Williams, but everybody called him G.W., had raised them and had got them all through university, working as a farmer and a probation officer all at the same time, and a leader of two choirs. Now that I realize that I took that all for granted when I was spending summers at their place in, during World War II. Ooh, sorry, I didn't mean to show how old I was. Anyway, World War II, I was there in the summer and uh, with, with my dog Rex. It was his dog, actually, but I took it over during the summer. The picture that's accompanying in the book, the picture that accompanies this poem is worth the price of the book as is the picture that Kevin Grummet took for Our Lady Lake, but that's a, you'll have to check those out. It shows me sitting with Rex up on the seat of the Alice Chalmers tractor while Grandpa's standing there as if to say, get this picture over with so I can get back to work. <laughs> well, he was quite an amazing person, but not, I didn't realize that even until recently when I started to consider how he, like other single parents with lots of kids, are really heroes, just amazing heroes. So this is for him. Those hot summer Sundays, he would take me with him into the choir where, as the Welsh sermon flowed around us, we would play tic-tac-toe. 
He came to our home to die. Near the end, I watched and wondered as he raised his fist toward the ceiling, the sky, his God. No singing then. At the funeral, his choirs sang for him. There were no child's games that day. But even though the songs were in Welsh, I understood. The next thing I'm going to read is from the section called Spirituals. Now, spirituals are an expression of faith, including lament and wonder and uh, all the twists and turns known to the human imagination. John Calvin once said about the book of Psalms that it's a catalog of every known human emotion. And uh, so uh, things that are like that here, but that are in the framework of faith, are in this section called spirituals. There's even one poem for the ending of a marriage and another one for the beginning of one. This particular one is my only hymn, however. It, it's called Hymn to the, to the Welsh tune Trewyn. Uh, my colleague at the University of Winnipeg, Thomas Graham, introduced me to the Welsh hymn, and it got into my insides, and it wouldn't leave unless I wrote. It wouldn't let me alone, I should say. I didn't hope it didn't leave. But it, I, I, I had to write the poem. I had to write the hymn. And it was inspired, the words were inspired by the time I spent as a, a volunteer at the West Broadway Community Ministry Drop-In Center, which is uh, quite near here. And uh, also by the struggle that I've seen that uh, many urban churches have with their ministry when the congregation, the old congregation has moved away, moved to the suburbs and they know the need, but they struggle with finding the resources. And they, they do so admirably many times, but this was a kind of a cheering on for that. Now, here's the, <clears throat> here's the puzzle. You want me to sing it or say it? Now, before you answer, I'm 85 years old, okay? I have sung, but I have an unpredictable voice. It could be really weird, okay? It could crack and go all over the place, but I, I'm willing to give it a try if you want to hear it with the music. If you want to hear it with the music, raise your hand. You asked for it. <laughs> Here we go. I don't think Lynn raised her hand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She's heard it too often. Here we go. All right, I got to step back. When sorrow and emptiness hold our lives in despair's rusty chain, when truth is distorted by power and blindness and apathy reign, then open your church to your word and summon your prophets again that wounded by your spirit's sword we learn to find life in our pain 
We wander on dry, dusty roads, inventing ourselves new each day, or frozen in blocks of the past, like ice we are melting away. Now open the eyes of our souls, so whether we go or we stay, we take our direction from you and walk on the path that we pray. The strangers who threaten our peace are hidden reflections of you. They ask us for food and for drink, a share of our wealth, not our view. Their strangeness breaks open our hearts, and when times of sharing are through, we find you have been in our midst, preparing a people made new. Good Abba, creator of all, by loving you make us your own, incarnate and crucified word. Love's power in your rising is shown, mysterious companion and friend. Our love through your nurture is grown, O oh, holy beyond every name. As oneness in three, you are known. I think I got away with it. <laughs> There's a section called Wanderings. I've moved a lot, literally and metaphorically. Uh, teaching was a constant in my life, though, and I had many amazing students. One of them introduced me tonight. One of the most amazing of all died, had his funeral this last week, Mr. Blakey. Uh, but another one, much less well-known, died two weeks ago. And uh, he's one of the people that this poem is about. And this is from a time when the wandering about and teaching they, they intertwined. I spent a weekend, spring break weekend, so you know what the time and the weather would be like here in Manitoba, visiting two of my favorite former students at their northern home, Pine Dock. It's up on the, on the big part of Lake Winnipeg. I had them as students before they were married. They came proudly to my door one day, to the office door, to tell me they were getting married. I was thrilled. But at, on that particular occasion, our mutual instabilities intersected, like icebergs colliding. And we had an early morning walk to try to sort it out, the three of us. And weeks later, I was finally compelled to write this. It's called Mystery at Pine Dock. Far to the south, the winter is ending. Light has drawn equal to darkness again. Here on this northern land, snow is defending the ice and the earth of its frozen domain. The animals know of the season's advances. More frequent and urgent, their searches for food. 
The snow tells the story of nocturnal dances. By the light of the morning, the tales are reviewed. Some stories are simple. A hare left the cover of spruce boughs in crossing this path, but the fox knew just where to wait. The pursuit was soon over. Three desperate scuffles, blood on the rocks. We can but imagine the story more fully. A hare's dying pleasure, a fox's regret, its fear of unseen vulpic rivals, leporid companions who, waiting, begin to forget. The tracks of the ones who walk upright are showing a story far stranger, with pleasure and pain entwined in a pattern like northern lights glowing when colors are changing and nothing is plain. Here, three began walking. Then one ran on, weaving. Was she being pursued or just acting as guide? Then she stopped. Did she speak to the frozen lake, grieving? Did she whisper or scream? Was the answer inside? The larger two paused, circled, drew ever closer. Were they stalking each other or beginning to love? Tears fell on the snow. Were they signals of fear or frustration or sorrow or all the above? The three tracks converge where the children are sleeping. Has the world changed forever while the adults were gone? Were they snarling or singing, laughing or weeping? Was it anguish or hope that had broken with dawn? In this tale, we can see neither winner nor loser. No magic computer reveals gain or loss. These tracks don't distinguish between saint and sinner. They circle forgiveness and love on a cross. Deep in the present, the winter is ending. The light and the dark are in balance again. The sun and the ice and the water are blending. The hare and the fox and the mystery remain. Now, that's uh, all I had really set aside to uh, read to you tonight. Do you want, a, do you want a, uh, an encore? I happen to know that he has a piece in the waiting based on the story of uh, Jacob wrestling with the angel. There's a good deal of background. Jacob is one of the most fascinating characters. That, that All those narratives in Genesis deserve to be read and reread because they're beautiful. Frederick Beekner's book, The Son of Laughter, is a novelization of those stories and is brilliant. Is in the Winnipeg Public Library. Jacob is the one, of course, who is twin with Esau. And uh, as they're born, Jacob comes out holding the heel of his brother, almost as if he's trying to scurry by and be the firstborn. Esau is a hard-working man, a hairy man, as the text says. Jacob is a smooth man and prefers a somewhat more genteel life. A trickster, you might say. He is. <laughs> his name means supplanter, or the one who tries to take over. And I should tell you that the English 
version of Jacob, Yaakov, is James. <laughs> well, the, 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 the story continues, and, and at one point, Yaakov, or Jacob, tricks his brother and gets him to, to, uh, to trade his birthright as firstborn in exchange for a bowl of stew, because his brother Esau is so hungry. And a little later, another trick is played, this time on their father, Isaac, Isaac. And uh, the, the smooth man disguises his arms with animal fur, and the blind old man thinks it smells like Jacob, but it must be Esau, because he's got hairy arms. And dear old Yitzhak gives his blessing to Jacob instead of Esau, to the wrong son. Well, this so enrages Esau, Jacob has to flee with the help of his mother. It is a twisted family story. It is, truly. With the help of his mother, he flees in the first night out in the wilderness, going, he thinks, toward his uncle Laban's place, but he's not sure. He has a dream. And it's the dream as he lies with his head on a rock on Jacob's pillow of the angels ascending and descending the ladder between heaven and earth. Well, he ends up with his uncle, and his uncle is one thing better than Jacob. He's an even better shyster. And the uncle manages to trick his nephew into not only marrying uh, the woman he loves, Rachel, but first the woman he's not so sure about, Leah, and work 14 years for the privilege of those weddings. And at the end of the 14 years... <laughs> hey, come on, comment, comment. In, in the, my favorite Bible verse it is where after the first wedding yep. is the verse it says, and in the morning there was Leah. Yeah. <laughs> in, in, in Frederick Beekman's novel, In the Son of Laughter, that scene is painted with this extraordinary uh, imagery and you, you have the women in the women's tent readying the bride and the men in the men's tent drinking and eating and there's music and there's drumming and there's fire and smoke and there's more drinking and more drinking and you believe at that moment that Jacob could have been so pie-eyed that he married the wrong woman. It's actually a stunningly good novel. But now married with two having worked all those years for Laban it's time to leave and they leave having stolen. Do anybody remember what they steal? the kitchen gods, the idols, and they tuck those underneath themselves and off they go. But now he's going home to maybe make peace with Esau or maybe get his comeuppance, he doesn't know. And there's this, this fateful night where he is on one side of the river Jabbok and the family's on the other side and he's afraid that Esau's coming and he doesn't know what he's going to do and at that night he's met by, who is it? It's an angel. Or is it God, or a bit of both? And they wrestle, and they wrestle, and they wrestle through the night. What does the Hebrew say? It, it, it both. It's both, it's yeah. both. Yeah, Ambig ambiguous yep. word. Yep, and, uh, and uh, Jacob, it looks like he might actually win. But just as the sun rises, the angel, and out his hip goes. And what does he say with his hip out and feeling beaten? What does he say to that angel? Give me your blessing. Give me your blessing. And the angel does. And the angel says to him, you have prevailed. Even though your hip's up, you have prevailed. 
and he's renamed from Jacob, the supplanter, to Israel. And on the story goes. The, actually, the, the wrestler with God, yeah. Israel. And there's, there is, a, when, when, he, when he reunites with his brother, his brother's just thrilled to see him like nothing ever went wrong. Big, hearty Esau gives him a bone-crushing hug. But they do agree to kind of keep to their own territories from there on in. So, a poem. Wrestling with an angel. I don't know why this feels personal to me. I don't have siblings. Um, and all my cousins are really friendly, right? Yeah, uh, so I don't know, but something about this, I feel I identify with this story. Here it is. Here Yaakov is, a man alone, his loves all on the other side. Now heavy night comes down to squeeze the drops of light from darkness wrap around the fantasies within. He was so clever once, no fear could trip him up, no love could make him stumble. He would never miss a chance to do the smart thing then. He mastered all the tricks of life. Then exile opened into grace. Beside the well he cracked and love came pouring in, excess of love, two claims upon his heart. He had for once been fooled or fooled himself. No fooling now, just face to face tomorrow. Coming home could not be terrible as this. So fierce is this uncompromising night, so irreversible this life. Now laying hold upon his soul, the mystery of presence will not yield. It seems that only dawn will end the struggle which will leave him limping, renamed, full of hope. Thank you very much. It all made for a, a really fine evening. After the presentation was done, we then adjourned for some coffee and cookies and people were able to look at the books and visit a little bit before heading out into what was becoming an increasingly cool fall evening. Thanks to John for doing this with us, to Robert Johansson, who's the owner, manager, publisher of Berserker Press, who was there as well to help with distributing the books. And to Kevin Grummet for faithfully doing the sound and video recording. If you'd like to take a look at a video of the event, which is a little longer than this podcast, it includes a little additional introductory material and so forth, you can head to the show notes and there'd be a link there to the web post. I'm your host, Jamie Howison. Thanks for listening.